Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. This is Danielle Town. Hey guys, we're here for the Invested Podcast where we're going to talk about how to learn how to invest in lots of things, starting with <laughs> stocks. <laughs> we're talking about the Warren Buffett rule number one style of investing. Yep. Right, Dad? That's right. The Warren Buffett rule number one style, which encompasses, as we've said many times, everything that you invest in because it defines investing as a certain uh, set of structures, a certain kind of way of doing it um, that would apply to real estate, franchising, a McDonald's store, buying a private company, a laundromat down the street in uh, by picking up a gas station, a stop and go, by buying a regular company out there that's on the public market. Well, you All made those. a point of saying this last time as well. Why is this on your mind that you're trying to, you know, sort of remind everybody all the different things one could invest in? Well, because I think it's important to start to realize that investing is investing and it's a certain kind of thing that it does that it doesn't matter the asset type that the that this the strategy of investing stays true, whatever the asset type is that you're going after, because a lot of people think real estate is different than stock investing and are comfortable with real estate and not comfortable with stocks. And, the, and the, that, that distinction should not exist in your head. What should exist is that you're comfortable with certain kind of businesses and uncomfortable with other kinds of businesses. And that's totally legitimate. That is absolutely correct. Everybody's like that, including Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger and me and you. And so when we start off like you've already bought and sold real estate, and have done so pretty comfortably. I mean, I remember when you were buying that condo, you were a little bit nervous, but you you definitely went out and spent serious money, not $1,000, yeah. and you did it, and you did it. And so your comfort level with that business was much, much higher than any other business that I'm aware of. Yeah, I think real estate's a lot easier to get your mind around. As, a, as as far as the parameters of, of what you need to know in order to make the investment, I think real estate's easier to analyze for somebody who, like me, is not great with numbers, is not familiar with financial statements particularly. I think real estate involves location, it involves what the real estate looks like, and who's going to live in it and what the price is. Yep. I mean, I mean, the numbers are still there, right? You still have to do them. You still have to, maybe a lot of people just they're don't do them. They're different. Though. They're different than a company's financial statements. No, they're not. Yes, they're they the are. same. No, they're not. They're the same. They're, a real estate is a business and it has a financial statements just like any other business, like a laundromat. It has the same financial statements. Buying a house did not involve employees. Me buying a house did not involve, I don't know, I'm trying to think what else is on a financial statement. Um, like, I never thought about, I don't know, what else is there? <laughs> <laughs> Let's stay with real estate for a second because this is pretty amazing. Think about it. What is on? All right, so I thought about depreciation. Wait, 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 wait. Back up. I thought about income. Time out. What is a financial statement? 
there are three of them. What are they? Let's go through the balance them. sheet. Yep. The profit and loss statement. Yep. And the cash flow statement. Yes. And <laughs> if you and if you got three, Dad. I, can I get a little like moment of thank you? Bravo. That was well done, actually. That was very well done. Thank now, you. in businesses which are not using accrual accounting, then there's really only a need for two financial statements profit and loss and a balance sheet because they're the same. The profit and loss and a cash flow statement turn out to be the same. The money's coming in. It's recognized when it comes in. When it goes out, it's recognized when it goes out. It's your it's your checkbook. Yes. Okay. So real estate is simpler only in the sense that it's not a public company and therefore it does not have to use accrual accounting. Um, but other than that, it's just like a laundromat. Laundromats don't use accrual accounting either. So there you go. So what would you learn by these two financial statements you're going to use? First, balance sheet, which is just telling you how much is the asset worth, the house, how much is it worth? Okay, $550,000. And what do you owe on it? $540,000. So... That's that's your balance sheet. There's a real simple balance sheet, but it's just the balance sheet. Oh, yeah, I got $10,000 of equity. You just gave two lines. Yeah, but that's all there is. That's all there is. You just There's got a about simple... 15 other lines <laughs> on a balance sheet. Sure, because you're dealing with um, a, a much more involved business, right? It's a much more sophisticated business than a piece and of real estate. that's what I'm talking about. Okay, but you can have simple businesses, which is why I'm talking about looking at the, the asset groups the same way. So all you okay. want to do is like you want to- Like our lemonade stand. Like our rule number one lemonade stand. There you go. That's a simple business. Yeah, see, I can see the comparison between buying a house and the rule number one lemonade stand. Because okay. you're right, they're both simple. Good. Good. So I, uh, then all uh, we the have to comparison breaks down for me when we get to <laughs> very complicated corporations. Well, yeah, it breaks down for everybody when we get to complicated corporations, including Buffett and Munger. As smart as those guys are, and as long as they've been doing this, there are still businesses that are outside their area of comfort. They look at the balance sheets. They look at the cash flows. They look at the income statements. They're not able to kind of tell what the future is going to be just based on that stuff. It's not enough. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And it's, and it's not enough in real estate either. So there's the other side of this thing, which is, okay, we've got the balance sheet. Excuse me. Let's let's back up a second to the financial statements before we walk on. Got the balance sheet. And then you got the P&L, <clears throat> profit and loss, which is in real estate. What would be your your um, revenue in real estate? Top you have line. Zero revenue. You live in it. Well, let's assume you you rent it just for fun. Oh. Um, okay, fine. It'd be your rent. But Good. I mean, I think we're talking about houses that people live in, right? Yeah, but you could do the same thing with your place. I mean, you got a balance sheet of your place, and then you've got what would the rent be in your place that you're replacing by living there. 
right? Yeah, that's they, true. You could do it like that. And you As did in, do like, it like I that. Would, I would be, yeah, I did. And that's why I bought something because exactly. I realized that I was spending way too much on rent. You realize you could, <laughs> you could get a place that you own for the rent you were paying. Yeah. And that was one of the things driving the decision. So you already really did look at it like that. And so yeah. you've got you've got your income, revenue, or sales, I guess sales would be the right way to put it, which is your rent. And then you have your expenses. And you know your expenses on your real estate because you pay them. Right. Right. And including your maintenance and your upgrades and all that stuff. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Very cool. So now, now we realize that if we're comfortable with real estate, it's not because it doesn't have financial statements. It does, and we we just don't recognize that we are actually thinking through the numbers. That the numbers and financial statements are really can be pretty simple sometimes. So simple, we don't even have to have them on paper. We just pay the bills, and we know what the income is or what we're avoiding paying, and we're there. We got it. To yeah, get there. but there's something else about real estate. Here's the part about real estate. All right, but we need to get to what we are actually talking about today, which is moat, which is where we are right now. So I now. will let you finish your thought on real estate. It couldn't be more important. The, my <laughs> thought. <laughs> my thought on real estate is that the reason that people are so comfortable isn't because the numbers are different. The numbers are still there. It's because of moat. Real estate has a kind of moat that is slow to change. Mm. Now, when people buy real estate, let's take a huge broken moat in real estate, which would be uh, the city of Detroit. All right. Mm -hmm. So years ago, people bought real estate in Detroit, just like they buy real estate now in San Francisco or wherever, right? The GM was growing, everything was good, Michigan was cranking, cars were selling, all right? But then the moat broke. The moat broke because people started moving away from Michigan, the cars started competing with everybody and started moving their plants out of the state of Michigan. And Detroit had leadership that believed that it could endlessly tax rich people and pay for many, many goods and services and high salaries. And they discovered that the rich people can move. And they did. And so if you bought real estate in Detroit 20 years ago, you were ignoring the moat breaking. But it was breaking very slowly. It was breaking like, I mean, basically, if you bought real estate in Detroit 20 years ago, it's like you're that maintenance worker that Austin Powers ran over with the steamroller standing there waiting to be run over you were paying no attention whatsoever and then of course 10 years ago they began bulldozing your house which was worthless okay so the moat broke and the moat okay, is but i location. have to say moats can't break i just i i can't handle it moats can't break right moats are dug into the ground moats involve water <laughs> moats are broken all the time. It's almost certain that the moat will break. We need a different metaphor, Dad. Well, what happens is they, then we, we're crossing the moat. The moat's I being think, breached. I think it's that the moat's being breached. Yep. Are you, you know what they used to do in, this, in, this, in some castles is they would tunnel under the moat and drain it. Oh. Yeah. 
or devious. Yep. They'd drain the moat and they'd continue the tunnel right under the moat, having drained it, and then they'd blow up the walls of the castle. So they did that in yeah. Civil War, too. So yeah. the, the, the metaphor holds, and that is that you have to notice that, well, you have to understand that moats almost never are forever. That the companies that existed 150 years ago in America, there's only a few of them left. Um, they've been acquired and they've changed other companies. They've changed their their positioning or whatever, but very few are left. Coca-Cola is still left and it had to change its its product substantially. And it's in another huge sea change as as the barbarians are drilling their moat, right? They're, they're draining yeah. the moat. Yeah, which are the obesity activists and... Um and government getting involved by taxing sugary sodas. Yes, absolutely. And there's an obvious gigantic change in the culture um, in the United States that is not spread to the rest of the world yet um, that is massively affecting Coke sales in the U.S. So for sure, these moats are going to break. So we have to... We have. They're going to be... Yeah, and it's just like your house... You know, we're south of Atlanta. I think south of Atlanta is going to be growing in the future. Um, but there have been neighborhoods in Atlanta which have gone down the tubes, right? The, the people who moved in didn't take as good a care of the neighborhood as the people who moved out. And the neighborhood started to decline. Crime started to increase. You have all sorts of demographic changes. You have cultural changes. You have economic changes that can you need to see before you go buy that house. Because location, Absolutely. location, location. <clears throat> so when you bought your place in Boulder, did you pay attention to where it was located? Like you could have bought lots of places around Boulder, or you might have bought even not in Boulder. Why did you pick Boulder? Yeah, I mean, it's a huge part. And it's it's what we said last time, right? You asked me what brand real estate has. And I said it has. I'm sorry, you asked me what moat real estate has. And it has brand and because brand is essentially its location. Yep. And I think for everybody who is looking for real estate in Boulder, you're going to hate me for saying this because it's going to draw more people there. But Boulder is an amazing little mecca of real estate investment because yes. it's surrounded by space that cannot be developed upon. Yes. And that's because the city and county of Boulder have bought up a lot of that space. And there's a whole story behind that. It's very interesting. So Boulder is space limited, and it also is height limited by various restrictions that the city has put into place. So Boulder really has kind of nowhere to grow. And yep. that makes it, as long as it continues to be a city people want to live in, which is, of course, the big caveat, it will basically real estate's going to keep either staying the same, staying flat, or it's going to go up because it doesn't have anywhere to go. Boulder can't expand so, um, yeah, no. it's very, it's a very unique, very unique, there I said it again. It's a very unusual uh, real estate spot. Very good. There are other places similar to that. Manhattan oh, is sure. similar to that. Uh, exactly. Right. Exactly. Manhattan's like that. Jackson Hole's like that. You exactly know? like that. Okay. Jackson Hole has a conservation easement all around it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and you just, there's nowhere to expand to. Yep. So... What happens to price when you have that, that moat? Price goes up or price it stays flat. 
Okay. Depending on what's going. And Boulder stayed flat for a long time. I'm not trying to paint it like it's some sort of like incredible constant upward rise, you know. So would you but, say you have to pay a premium to buy Boulder real estate for the amount you could rent it for, say, compared to other places? Or is the uh, rent as rents risen as well? Rents have risen as well. All right. So I don't know the answer to that. Rent is really high. The rent is too damn high. Let's put it that way. Is there a level beyond which rent can't go and then real estate has to come down? Or, I mean, for example, in New York, um, the apartment that you lived in going to NYU cost... What cost it? a lot. <laughs> it's like 7000 um, a month, right? <clears throat> Something like that. And I was paying that because I was working there too. And I would come in and out and so on and so forth. Yeah, I mean, it was your apartment. Yeah, it's my clear. apartment. Let's be clear. <laughs> but still, there's a lot of people listening to this broadcast right now who just had their eyes pop wide open, who didn't realize that people were paying $7,000 a month for a New York apartment that wasn't super special. Right? And we're not talking like, you know, really fancy apartment, real flashy. It's not Donald Trump here or anything. It's just... Thank a, God. Yeah, it's just a decent apartment in New York um, and 7000 a month. So I, you could argue that if there's enough moat around Manhattan, if, if you need to live in Manhattan, that there's really no limit to the rental prices. They're going to continue to go up under pressure of people who want to live there. Yes, Yep. that's right. And I think... The funny thing that I was just thinking is Manhattan has a literal moat around it. It does in that it's moat. an island. Yep. Um, but and, and yeah, that's right. And, and Manhattan could go up constantly forever because of the the business that supports the people who want to live there. Right. Boulder's a little different because it has a university, so there is a ceiling on a lot of its residents being able to afford certain kinds of places right and that's just that's just how it's always going to be it's always going to be there's going to be some student rentals forever in right. boulder right right and so however they choose to handle that is you know i don't know rent control whatever but that will be true as long as the university's there so it's and, and you know manhattan is universities also um the area around nyu is really interesting because of that because there's it's a really high-end area but there are dorms so so students get to live in Greenwich Village and in Union Square for cheap. It's like, the honestly, if you want to go live in New York, it's the best deal going. Go to school. Get into NYU. Get some student loans. You get to live in a great neighborhood for not much money. It's really, it's really cool. It's really true. And we've just hit on why people are comfortable investing in real estate. The the. The fundamentals are identical to any other business. You've got balance sheet, you've got profit and loss, and you have moat. And so the moat issue with real estate just moves relatively slowly. I mean, you, have, can, you can have a great deal of confidence in the long-term positioning of real estate in places like Jackson Hole and Boulder, New York City, San Francisco, um, Silicon Valley. So you, you have places where there's just nowhere to go. And, and you have to be there for whatever reason. And so people are going to pay whatever they got to pay. And that is moat. People are going to pay whatever they've got to pay to get a Coke. They're going to pay what <laughs> they got to pay 
They get a Harley. They're That's a pay great what they definition pay. of <laughs> They're just going to go get that thing at, at the price. Well, and, that's a great definition of brand moat. Brand moat, yeah. Yeah. Now, it even gets stronger. Brand moat is probably the weakest of all the moats. I know. I've been thinking about that ever since you said, since we've been talking about moat. And by the way, I, we're on part seven of our multi-part series <laughs> Right. I thought we thought an eight-part series, too, so we're very close. I know. I think you guessed series. eight, and I think I guessed nine, and clearly we're both going to be wrong because we're on part seven, and we're only on moat. Yeah. But uh, that was to be expected, I suppose. Yeah, pretty much how we roll. Um, and I'm going to start playing Charlie again. Okay, very fair soon. enough. Fair enough. We'll play him again when we get on to the next piece. But when let's... we get to management, we'll play him again. But um, So is this helping you understand moat? That it, yeah. That... Real estate really is about the moat, and um, and that's going to drive your long-term success with that real estate investment. So if you went out to the Midwest in Iowa, where the population of Iowa consistently wants to go down, like heart, people don't tend to move to Iowa, people tend to leave Iowa. So it has a... It, it, well, it stays the same or trickles. Depends on what part of Iowa. You know, it depends on the Iowa part. Iowa City is lovely. That's true. I mean, all of I'm sorry, I can't let that comment go. All of Iowa is lovely. I mean, it's field of dreams in real life. It's so beautiful with the rolling hills and the cornfields. I love Iowa. You're not going to get an argument from me on this. I think Iowa has beautiful sunsets. Yes, I love the violent storms that they have. I just think those are um, as long as you can get indoors. Some of the most amazing colors I've ever seen in my life are in Iowa. Yeah, it's really true. I mean, and the people, they just don't get any better than in Iowa. People in Iowa are fantastic. Totally. So, totally agree. But So everyone should be moving to Iowa. I don't know what you're... <laughs> should be, but they do. But the kids move out. And, and there's a reason, you know, there's a limited number of things you can do in Iowa. It has a very, orient, you know, culture is oriented toward insurance in Des Moines. And agriculture and education are the key three big industries in Iowa. So if you wanted to do something with, let's say, you know, be about around the top people in your field, you might have to go somewhere else. And that's yeah. a lot of time. But people move back to that's Iowa. True. That's true of a lot of places. But people, yeah, 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 people tend to move back once you've gotten your career started. Hopefully you can move back. Yeah, because it's a great place to raise a family. It's good people. So point being that I don't even know what the point was I was trying to make. <clears throat> I don't know either. You bashed Iowa, and that was the end I think, of I think the point you... I'm making is if we're talking about real estate moat, there are a number of cities that you can go to in Iowa where you would have to think twice before you said, oh, I'm going to buy real estate here because long term, this will be worth more in 10 or 15 years than it's worth today. Or at least in the past, that has not turned out to be the case. Mm-hmm. You could buy real estate in Iowa in certain towns in Iowa and it's worth less today than it was. Well, right, because they don't have a natural limiter the way, like, because we were talking about Boulder, Manhattan, Jackson Hole have. So whatever's special about that that town, that city can change. Like, for instance, classic example, the plant closes. Yes. All of a sudden, that town dies yes. really fast. Yes. Or, yes. So I don't know. Like you, a like a nuclear plant goes in next door. All of a sudden, that town dies really very fast. Good. So if you're going to do real estate and it's a business that you want to be successful in, 
you have to look at the moat. And the moat is location, which means you need to understand the long-term implications of that location. Yeah. That's it. And everybody who does real estate understands that. that, that it almost goes without saying that you'd be pretty leery of buying a little farmhouse out in some farm without understanding that in Iowa. You might be picking a town that is disappearing because agriculture is getting even more industrial and they don't need a, a, a little seed center every 10 miles anymore. Um, you know, and that seed center just shrinks. So that's just one of my moat. favorite facts about Iowa is that there's a town roughly every 30 miles because the farthest you could go from your farm in your horse and carriage in one day back and forth was seven about seven miles out and about seven miles back so about 15 miles so the nearest town from any given farm was always about 15 miles and that's why every town is about 30 miles apart i just love that about yeah. iowa yeah i'm, I'm just going to correct this one little thing is that if if every town is 30 miles apart that means that if you lived in the middle the, the you could be 15 miles away right Shoot, you're right. Is every town 15 miles apart? I actually think they're closer, um, a little bit closer than that. No, they're 15. You're right. They're 15 miles apart. So I'm trying to think back to like driving to Iowa City and there'd be a town every 15 minutes. Yeah, but there's, there's, there is a, there's a certain distance that you could travel in a wagon. And you, you go in and then you come back out. And that distance defined how far apart those towns were by the, by the farms that were at the limit of that distance. And then somebody right. put a town in on the other side. Well, ignore my math. But you got the right idea. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I thought it was 30 miles. You're close. You're close. It it's got to be 15 Whatever miles. it is. Whatever it is. It, it, why, it is. Why would 15 be wrong? 15 is right. Oh, well, 15 miles apart would be fine, but it's not 30 miles apart. I'm saying they're 15 miles apart. Yeah, yeah. So it's seven miles in, seven miles out. That, yeah, that's exactly. Right. That's right. Okay, That's right. there we go. Now it's right. That's right. So, <laughs> so point being that real estate... Everyone just got a glimpse of why you shouldn't listen to me about... <laughs> you should listen to you and you're various. doing this very well. And, <laughs> and you have nailed this concept of moat around real estate. It's fundamental to a real estate investment. Now, all we have left to, to make the shift from something everybody's comfortable with over to something that nobody's comfortable with is simply to recognize that there's a continuum of complexity that starts with real estate at pretty simple, but all the same things are there, mm -hmm. to companies like Intel, which are super complicated, or maybe Berkshire Hathaway, which has 60 businesses inside of it, right? So yeah. from real simple to super complicated. And there's this continuum, there's this sort of path you can walk down. And that path will take you from, oh, I can totally understand this, I'm capable of understanding this, to I'm totally not. And when you've got a genius like Warren Buffett, who's carved out more than 50% of the companies in the stock market as being too complicated for him, that tells you immediately that as a small investor who's starting out, you're going to narrow down this marketplace to a very small number of companies in a very small number of businesses or industries, and you're going to then 
focus on the critical features, which is moat. So once you're capable of understanding, then is, do I have a comfort level in this company that's the equivalent of the comfort level I have buying that house in Boulder? Am I that comfortable with it? And if the answer is yes, then bingo. You are now well within your circle of competence and you can go forward. So what, oh, let's talk a little bit about the things we've said about moat so far. In terms of the numbers, what helps us be confident that there's a moat are the numbers, right? So we looked at return on equity and free cash flow are two things that help us be confident that the, that, that the moat is good. Um, those, yes. Yeah. And then what the, the, then the second thing, if the numbers are pretty good, then the second thing is, is there an obvious moat? One of these five moats that we talk about, brand, secrets, switching, toll bridge, and price. Is there an obvious moat that this company has? And, and so let me dive in a little bit on that because you got to understand what I mean by obvious. Like, how would you know it's obvious, right? Oh, okay. I didn't know we were supposed to be looking for obviousness. Yeah. Obvious at this point is really important. Remember, we want to jump over six-inch bars. It, it, okay. shouldn't, it shouldn't be difficult to figure out the moat. And if it is difficult, then maybe that one's too hard. So uh, let's go for obvious. And obvious means that when we look at this, that you'd see immediately that it would be really hard to duplicate that company in its market. Okay? Mm -hmm. So let's just mm -hmm. take that as the thing that you're looking at. This is going to be hard to do. Mm -hmm. Hard to do. So if we were to look at Coca-Cola and Pepsi as two companies that have great, big, huge brand moats, and we were to go into a store and ask the store manager, hey, can you kind of show me what's the Coke products and what's the Pepsi products, you would discover that 90% of the shelf space devoted to those products, right, to, to, to liquids like that, let's say you're in the, in the soft drinks part of this, 90% yeah. of the grocery store shelf space is owned by those two companies. So then you'd say to yourself, okay, well, Mr. Store Manager, what would it take for me to take the same amount of shelf space that Coca-Cola has right now? What would I have to do? And the guy would look at you and go, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> he would say, there is nothing you can do to take that amount of shelf space. Nothing. You say, you mean I can't come in with products here that are as good as Coca-Cola's and you could give me their, that same amount of shelf space? And he would be, why would we do that? We already have that done. You're already done. You're, the only way you would get shelf space like Coca-Cola is to come in with a pile of products that everybody wanted a lot more than Coca-Cola. It'd have to be a lot more for us right. to Right. I mean, that's, that's what it would be, is a product that's more in demand than the Coke products, and right. boom, Coke's gone. Yep, that's right. Now, Coca-Cola has been in the business for over 100 years. They understand that pretty clearly, that that's the only way they go away. And so they do two things. They block you, so the very mm -hmm. solid blocking there, by not giving you shelf space, because they suck up all the shelf space um, by making deals for the grocery stores. And second, they'll buy you out if you somehow manage to get your toe in the door, which is That's what right. they've done with Monster. Yeah. They're just taking it over. So Coke is out to protect itself. There's no way it's not gonna protect itself. It's in a phenomenal position. 
in the marketplace and extremely hard to, to compete with. And it's pretty obvious that it is. See what I'm saying? I do. All right. Let's take, let's which, take some of these. Which, which, which moat is that? It's not brand. Oh, yeah. Well, brand for sure, because that's what that's keeps... like. That's like market share. It's like a market share moat. Well, the reason this is how powerful brand is. The reason brand is a powerful moat is often because of things going going along under the surface. Because Coke has this powerful brand, because it delivers this product that everybody wants, the grocery store wants Coke. People are going to come in and ask for that brand. And if they don't have it, those people are going to leave that store and go to a different grocery store. And then they're going to buy their Coke there. And then while they're there, they're going to buy a pile of commodities that they don't care what the brand is. So that's where they're going to buy their steaks. No, but that directly okay. contradicts what we just said, which is that if another company shows up that sells more than Coke, then the store is going to give the, the shelf space to that better selling company. They will. So the argument that like, oh, someone's going to leave the store to go find Coke at a different store. Right. But your, uh, your it, assumption it is that, it doesn't follow. Yeah, your assumption is that somebody is outperforming Coca-Cola with yeah. a better product at the yeah. level of Coca-Cola, which is okay. So that that started with I mean, Monster. Pepsi, Pepsi is the obvious example. Yeah, and, and I therefore bet Coke this would have a hundred percent of, or probably ninety percent of the shelf space, and instead they probably have fifty, and Pepsi probably has forty, and the other yeah. ones probably have. Yeah, that's a, that's about right. And so in order to keep people in their store, they've got to have products on that shelf space that are the drivers for somebody showing up the store. And those yeah. drivers are brands that those people want to buy. And then while okay, they're buying so those would, brands... You would call this like market share sort of real estate protection thing brand. Yeah, it's because of the brand that they have that. That's why the store gives them all that space. I had the same question. I was thinking about one of the one of the um, companies on the list that we discussed last time, or that you that you laid out last time. We didn't discuss. Um, and I was thinking about Wells Fargo and trying to figure out what their brand was, or what sorry, what their moat was, because I don't see one. And and now that you're talking about how Coke and what I thought of, well, it has a market share moat essentially, just because they're so ginormous that it it's like all right fine they're they're everywhere so i'll just use them that's basically all i could think of and um and mcdonald's i would say is the same kind of thing and the way people always talk about mcdonald's in this sort of cutesy way is oh it's not a hamburger store it's a real estate store you know it's not a hamburger but it's a real estate business because they their whole thing is being on the right street corners and that's what gives them the enormous market share that's better than Burger King and Hardee's and all the others. And Which again, I, like, I think like it's it doesn't it wrong. doesn't signify brand to me. Yeah, I think they're really they're they're really way off there. That's the kind of thing that academics do, is they 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 uh, poo poo the the actual product mix, thinking that who's going to care whether you get a McDonald's hamburger or you get a Burger King hamburger. Um, that's that's very academically oriented. When you know people who eat, yeah, everybody cares. Care everybody has 
Yeah, everybody cares. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> they care a lot. They care a lot. And um, as a result, it, while it might be true that a great deal of the value of McDonald's might be sitting in its real estate positions, the fact is brand is what drives that. So McDonald's loses its brand if it doesn't replicate the good things about its product perfectly over and over and over again, which has happened yeah. a couple of times. And McDonald's starts to go down like a brick yeah, in spite true. of all of its real estate. In spite of its real estate. That's yep. true. Let's so take another can we talk one. about Wells Fargo for a second sure. then? Because this is like a total mystery to me. Yep. I mean, to me, Wells Fargo, I don't care if it's Wells Fargo or Chase or Bank of America. I could care less. Their brand means nothing to me. Yep. Well, here's what makes Wells Fargo a really, really good investment and has made it such for a long, long time. They um, have a skill set that makes them a price moat. They're the same kind of moat as Walmart and, um, and Costco in a weird sort of banking way. And by the way, just as an aside... This is one of the reasons that I wouldn't recommend looking at banking stocks as a starting point, even though they look like they're a pretty simple business. Banking stocks are actually pretty difficult to analyze. And, and I, I hesitate to get all the way into this, but I will say you're dead right. A bank tends to be kind of, it, it tends to be a little bit of several kinds of moats. Um, you have the brand because they're advertising on TV, so they're paying a little bit of attention to the brand. But truthfully, um, if it wasn't such a pain in the butt to switch your accounts from one bank to another and have to get new checks and all that, people would probably care less. So the strongest yeah. moat that banks have is a switching moat, but they all sort of it's have It's not that. very strong either. But it's not it's very strong. Yeah, it's not that hard. All right. So what makes Wells Fargo unique out in the, in the world and the reason that Buffett owns it is because its profit margins are bigger than anybody else's by a lot. They have a skill set in the terms of the way they do things that has produced a very, very high profit margin, very high return on equity. Um, and as a result, they get a premium price in the market. And you'll notice that if you're watching the news, that I Wells Fargo... I don't know if Fargo, I buy that. That's a real moat, Dad. No, it's, 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 it's a very powerful moat, this idea that you can be, you can do at a lower cost what other people are doing at a higher cost. Um, Capital One had a similar. No, I mean, I get, I get that it can, in theory, be a moat. I get that. Okay. But in, as far as Wells Fargo, I don't know if I buy that they well, have one. What's phenomenal is that the CEO of Wells Fargo just retired, and one of their top people just retired, and they did it because <laughs> turns out retired. one of the secrets, yeah, exactly, in quotes, one of their secrets was that they had a culture that was driving people to cross-sell multiple banking products to their clients. And that culture was so powerful that it encouraged salespeople to cheat on the numbers. And therefore, yeah. they created fake accounts, phantom accounts, gave people products people didn't know they had, all this because they're being driven by these numbers. So now what you have to wonder with Wells Fargo is, Okay, is that how they created this amazing low-cost, high-margin business compared to everybody else? Is that how There's, they did it? Were they just faking it? Yeah. Yeah, they were faking it. Okay, so another company, Capital One, is in the subprime credit card business. 
And they got attacked by MasterCard and Visa and, and a lawsuit put up against them because MasterCard and Visa thought it was impossible that Capital One could make money going to subprime credit card holders when Visa and MasterCard couldn't do it. So they assumed that Capital One was fraudulent in its numbers. And the federal government looked at the data and said, you might be right, and opened up a case against Capital One. Their stock price dropped from 60 to $30 a share. And, um, and it was all because these competitors couldn't believe these guys could produce the product at the price they were producing it and have those kind of margins. And it turned out they could, that they were just better at it. And the lawsuit got dropped. So, yeah, that, that's where I would say Wells Fargo, uh, you know, has, has the advantage. And the question is whether it can sustain it or not in, a, in what amounts to a commodity business. Okay. All right. I don't know. Yeah, banks, I think, I take, I'll take it that it's a price situation. Yep. Okay, let's do another one. How about... All right, so let's Walt go Disney. through the list here. I'll just <clears throat> read it back for everybody. Okay. 21st Century Fox. Yep. Walt Disney. Yep. Polaris. Yep. Polaris or Polaris? Polaris, yeah. Polaris. Tiffany, the jewelry store. Wells Fargo, we did. MasterCard. Emerson Electric. John Deere, Visa, and Salesforce, which used to be salesforce.com. Yep. Okay, good. Um, so I made guesses. 21st Century Fox, I would say, is like a classic brand. So I looked it up. 21st Century Fox um, is under the umbrella of News Corp, but they've got it separately treated. And it holds all of the like Fox News, Fox Network, all the television stations that they have it holds a number of their newspapers um it holds the movie studio 21st century fox and um and a network called sky which is in the uk and then there were there were some other things as well yeah they have Um, this thing called star in india which is a big pay for oh yeah that was mentioned yeah yeah so basically it seemed like everything they owned was a brand that's right that's right. And it would so be let's, difficult to replicate. Let's look, let's look through the other moats and see if there's any difficulty uh, with if they present a moat because they have secrets other companies don't have in their industry. What do you think? Sorry, say that again? Do you let's think, look through this list and see if... No, just uh, Fox. Do you think Fox has secrets that are not known to other broadcasters? Oh, let's look through the list of moats. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think they have secrets. Agreed. Do you think that it's difficult to switch from Fox to CNN, say? No. 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 <laughs> Click the channel. Switch. Okay. Um, do you think that they're the only way you can get across the river? No. <clears throat> Toll bridge. No. And there's where I think you're making a mistake. I don't think so. Fox has a little franchise going right now. And the franchise they have going is for the conservative political uh, marketplace. There is virtually no other channel on TV that provides a conservative editorial viewpoint that competes with Fox. Everybody else is out there with either you know, what they would consider to be middle of the road, right? 
but which Fox viewers would consider to be a liberal agenda. Everybody yeah, so else. fine. You could say that about any one of their TV networks. Like, I don't know. Fox Network is the only place where you can watch The Simpsons every night. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, that's really quite true. You know, when you look at this, you start to see that the, it's not just brand, which is driven by, well, it is certainly brand, but it's not just brand. It's that Fox has, has a cornered a niche. In other words, Coca-Cola, there are competitive colas that taste exactly like Coca-Cola that are generic, that are in every grocery store. But mm -hmm. people still want Coke just because of the brand and the image they've created around the brand. Okay? Whereas there's nowhere to go except Fox. Nowhere to go. So you that's a that huge moat. Every single channel on your television. Well, that's exactly the point. You could say that of every single successful channel on your television, which is why so many of those cable channels fail, is because they fail to get a niche market sufficient to hold on to, because it's very hard to compete on brand. Brand takes years to build. I mean, think about it. Um, companies like 21st Century Fox, MGM, United Artists have all tried to build a brand and nobody cares. They just want to go see the movie, whatever the movie is. They don't care who made it, right? But yeah. that doesn't say that these guys aren't trying to build a brand. They've been trying to build a brand at United for 100 years and they finally just went away. So Fox has something special and so does Discovery and so does ESPN. And you think that what they have are secrets? No. What they have is Switch. You oh, can't... sorry. I thought you were saying secrets. No, I'm on have. I'm on Switch mode. You can't there's no excuse me, I'm on they have a toll, is what I'm saying. It's easy to switch. <laughs> they have a toll bridge mode. And in other words, you can't cross the river of conservative commentary without going to Fox, that's it. Every place else you're gonna get something else. And that's what makes Fox so dominant in the cables is because the other channels are splitting about 50% of America. And the All right, other you're talking about a toll bridge moat. We're on the same page now. Toll bridge moat. I don't buy it at all. You could replicate that. You know, I mean, that's the worst example if you wanna argue that they have a toll bridge. Anybody could start a, I mean, Trump is probably going to start a conservative news network. Come on. And if you he just, does, he might take Fox down. Which is why words, it's not a toll bridge, because it, a toll bridge has to be maybe the one or two ways that you could do something. Yeah, exactly. So think about it for a second. If you're the only bridge over the river, over the bay, to get from so Sausalito. Any, essentially, your argument is that any company that produces a unique product, truly unique product that cannot be replicated, yeah. has a toll bridge mode. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And so, so the problem because is because <laughs> Martha Stewart produces no, I mean this makes no sense. So because Martha Stewart produces Martha Stewart Living, the T V show. Yeah. And nobody else obviously can make a show with Martha Stewart. Only she can. Yeah. And you would call that a toll bridge on the entire network that displays her show? No, but it's a, it's a smaller version of that. Let me, let me explain how this would work. Think about it literally as a bridge over some chasm. So now you're going to go from Sausalito to San Francisco on the Golden Gate Bridge. It has a great toll moat. Okay. Now, 
for some reason, somebody comes in and builds another bridge right next to the Golden Gate Bridge, and they charge less. Everybody's going there. At a very minimum, even if they charge the same, they're going to split traffic 50-50. Now, somebody builds a third bridge right there, okay? Now, the reason that, um, that you might argue against a toll bridge here is you have to argue that a toll bridge is very, very hard to build another bridge next to. Very hard. So PG&E in California has a toll bridge moat because it's very hard to come up with another energy company that will provide electricity to your house. Very right, hard. Right, which from my understanding is what makes it the toll bridge moat. Right. Now think so about if Fox. it's easy to do another one, think about Fox. you don't have the toll bridge. Think about how hard it would be to get people off of Fox onto another another channel. You'd have to get Bill O'Reilly, you'd have to get you'd have to get their key people to move over because as you were saying with Martha Stewart. Or you'd have to get better people, right? That isn't that that's that's right next to impossible. Let's imagine a world in which there's somebody better than Bill O'Reilly. That's oh my next God. to impossible. <laughs> I mean but you seriously, many... you're actually saying that any company that produces a unique product has a toll bridge moat. I don't think that that falls in the definition because of what you just said, which is that no, it has part to be, of it, it has to be a unique product. It has product. to be extremely difficult yep. to create a similar product. Which is the other half of it. So Coca-Cola, So like really I'm looking easy. at the list here, Tiffany, by definition, makes uniquely designed jewelry products. No, they don't. And yet, I would never say that they have a toll bridge no, moat. everybody copies Tiffany the moment they come out with this uniquely designed thing. It's immediately in every other group jeweler. They, all of the stuff Tiffany does, none of it's patented. They can't patent but it's that not, stuff. But it's not the same, though. It's not it's, the same because it doesn't say Tiffany on it. That's about the only difference. And you know what? Lots of people can make TV shows that are similar to the shows shown on Fox, nope. many of which they are a lot better. They can't. They, can. they cannot. And that's why Fox continues to dominate is because, first off, most of the people who produce television don't want to produce conservative television because they're not conservatives. They're liberals. So they're going to produce television that they want to produce because it's their TV show. So you're still show. stuck on Fox News here. So Fox News has, first off, the, the, the advantage of needing to compete against Fox News. You've got to be a conservative entrepreneur who wants another conservative channel and is willing to spend the billions to do it. There are not very many of those people out there. Donald Trump might be some, one of them. But the point is, Fox News is one minuscule part of what 21st Century Fox has on offer. No, it's, it's, it's 70, 80 percent of what they do. 70 or 80% of their revenue stream is, is all Fox News. So they're a huge part of that company. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up, and we got to wrap up here, is because Rupert Murdoch is the entrepreneur from Australia who started that whole thing and who has that conservative point of view. He is now in his 80s. He just got remarried to Nick uh, Mick Jagger's ex, Bianca. Is that her name? Oh, Bianca? my God, Dad. Wait, he's all 84. You Hold on, he's 84. The guy he got is, married to Jerry Hall. I mean, Jerry How Hall, not Bianca. How dare you? Yeah, Jerry Hall, who is Jagger's ex, right? The poor woman only gets described in your mind as Jagger's ex? Yeah. She's an iconic, incredible former 
model from the 70s who like had her own name anyway fine whatever okay so so you whatever. just know her as, as jagger's ex who yeah, might be beyond that's how i know her so anyway he got married to jerry hall yeah jerry hall and, and so he's very 84, happy together and it's very sweet. 84 new wife wants to enjoy life together he probably first time in his life really going to pay attention to his spouse he's, you know he doesn't have forever left and he just started handing over the power of controlling programming at Fox News to his two 40-year-old sons, neither of which has a great track record of massive success, and neither of whom is conservative. And they just fired Roger Ailes, who is the heart and soul of Fox News. Gone. They've hated God. him forever. Oh, my God. You make it sound like that happened because they just decided to do it one day. No, they've been deciding to do that for years if they could get in power. And this became a cause celebrity that they could do it with and get rid of him. They've been wanting to fire him for a long time, but they didn't have the power and they didn't have the excuse. They got both of those within six months. So Ailes is gone. Now, what does that mean? It means Donald Trump may well have an entree into this marketplace if he picked up Roger Ailes and said, let's program a new channel, uh, that could very well take a huge chunk of Fox and break their toll bridge moat. Absolutely could. Right, which I think means that it's not a toll bridge moat. Or maybe, maybe okay, you call it whatever you want, but maybe it's a really bad one. Maybe, well, it's, maybe it's a puddle. Okay, I mean, you can, you can argue it that way, but I think that that's what's going on. I think somebody's potentially going to build a bridge next to the Golden Gate. It could happen. A guy's got the money to do it and the reason to do it. And the guys who are running Fox may be running it off into the wrong direction and start losing their viewership. So that's okay. this, we're going to stop We're going to leave it there. Yeah. We've now discussed 21st Century Fox and we've discussed Wells Fargo. Now I'm going to so, say one more thing about 21st Century Fox. If that, dis, if that discussion is too hard, that goes in the too hard box. So you shouldn't despair that if you can't figure this out, you can't be an investor. That's not the right answer. That'd be like saying, oh, I can't figure out 21st Century Fox, so I can never buy a piece of real estate as an investment. That's nonsense. What you've got to do is focus on companies you can understand. Yes, there are going to be some of them, all of them more complex than a real estate deal, but some of them are going to be a lot less complex than 21st Century Fox. All right. That's, and that's with that... Point. I, point. I think we're all done. <laughs> I think we're all done. Um, all right. So next time is going to be part eight of our multi-part series. Yes. And I think that we should go through the rest of this list. Yes. Because it's interesting. Yes. And then let's move on to talking about management, which is honestly probably the most interesting all right. part of this whole thing. That sounds good. I guess time to go play. See ya. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to Invested, the Rule One podcast. If you like this episode, you can always get our show notes and more details and links to the resources we discussed at investedpodcast.com. Also, as long as you're online, head on over to investedpodcast.com slash workshop for details on an upcoming three-day live workshop that I'm hosting. All you got to do to go is enter the special podcast code Stockpile, that's S-T-O-C-K-P-I-L-E, Stockpile, into the application form, and you guys can attend for free. So everything discussed on this show is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion, 
And it is not to be taken as investment advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really do hope you've enjoyed it. So until next week, it's time to go play. See ya.